There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast, Insane in the Membrane. Insane in the Membrane. Hello everyone, you had a good week? I hope you have, I know I ask that every week, but why not? It'd be rude not to, wouldn't it? Of course it would, that's why we're here, checking in on each other. Um, I've had a good week, it's been alright, still still busy, chucking out the podcast, recording people, running around, having a chat, doing the comedy at the same time, having a good time, everything's cool. Um, Our guest this week, I caught up with him, I think this would have been, uh, when was it, end of last year? Christmas time, it was a few months back, um, his name's Andrew Bird, and again, we sort of started comedy at roughly the same sort of time, I think he was about two years ahead of me, uh, one, of the, one of the best comics out there, um, he's done a lot of warm-up, which is warm-up for Pointless and, uh, and people like that, Loose Women, a very, very funny boy, I've ne- I don't think I've ever seen him do the same material twice, in all the times I've ever worked with him, he's phenomenal, um, but we had a chat. Um, we were in Shefford working together um, and a little while before we'd met up um, Andrew Andrew runs a gig in, uh, in Bista and um, one of these acts had Mr Ian Cognito on stage now Ian is a, a circuit regular a, a firm favourite a, a comedian's comedian like one of the old guard one of the like real like just raw comedian he didn't he didn't let the bastards get him down you know, it was a true one-off. Um, and unfortunately, uh, on the night that he was on at um, Andrew Bird's gig, he um, passed away on stage as he was performing, which shocked, which shocked everybody, shocked, shocked everyone in the in the community. Um, and Andrew, very, we, we sat and we talked, and Andrew told me all about it. Um, so this one, this is really. It's more of a tribute to Cogsy, Ian Cognito, that if you didn't get to see him, you, you genuinely missed a, a true one-off. Um, he, I, he was one of those acts that, just just seeing him live, you had, to, you had to see him live to really appreciate how brilliant he was. And he was in real life as well. He, was, he, didn't, he just lived his life how he wanted to live it. I'm sure, he, you know, certain things he would have liked to have been different. But he really stayed sort of true to himself, I feel anyway. I mean, I only met him, I met him a couple of times and he was always very lovely to me. Um, and this is, this is, so this is what we did. We sat down and Andrew told me all about it. And uh, so, yeah, this is a tribute to Ian Cognito, one of, one of comedy's greats. And it's, it's a shame that he's no longer with us. So please welcome Andrew Bird. How was the cricket? Did you watch it? Did you go spoons? Yeah. 
Uh, so what did you do? Go spoons and have coffee. Can report that uh, halloumi wrap. Did you have it with chili sauce this time? It's a far nicer without chili sauce. <laughs> That's my new go-to. You're not a fan of the chilies. I like chili. Right. I usually love chili sauce, but um, too sweet and goes all over your hands. <laughs> like you were saying earlier, the amount of sugars in it. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, Miles got now sat there and uh, three refillable coffees. Got me money's worth for four. <laughs> No, that's too much coffee. As I was going to say, you're going to be jumping up and down later. It doesn't affect me. I've become immune to it. Really? Just have too much. Um, like a drug addict. <laughs> more and more. So, uh, sat there, read Cognito's book. Yeah. For a bit. Is it good? It's really good. It's, uh, uh, yeah. It's got some fucking funny stuff in it. He was a one-off, wasn't he? Let's see. Yeah. I, I, did, I couldn't believe the, the amount of people at the wake it was something else yeah wasn't not, it? not many you know comedians can you know uh, how fa- big and famous they are but not many people get that many people in a room or that sort of level of affection nah and uh, it was nice hearing really nice hearing his like sons in the in the cemetery right um, crematorium doing speeches and they were proper funny Really? And hearing him as a dad, what it was like as a dad. Mm. What the story about him at the boat where he lived, making them in like a shed. He had a storage <laughs> shed, making them sit in there on a school night when they were little kids and had school. Yeah. He sat there drinking a whiskey and made them listen to a Smith's album in its entirety. <laughs> I mean, doing that to another adult is funny, but doing it, doing it to your own children, you know, it's brilliant and tragic all at once yeah wonderful but all that when you see the lads and you know, know the, the side of Cogsy that we all knew you see they've grown up to be like decent human beings that, do you know what I mean they're not they're not they're not running around like loonies and so he's obviously Cogsy did a, did right. a brilliant thing well they both said separately when I was speaking to them that he's their he was their best friend right so he he got something he got it right somehow. Yeah. Probably, you know, I bet like having having two kids myself. Like, so, like even today, even today, my wife rang me. She's in the in the woods with them, or above board. Get rid of them. Yeah, she's in in a in a in an organised place of entertainment woods. Um, uh, and there's like uh, what's it called? Go ape like the nets. Oh yeah, climbing yeah. thing. She FaceTimed me. And I could see them climbing the nets and up, like you know, forty foot in the air and stuff, you know. And I felt felt a bit, a bit bad that I wasn't there. Mm. It's just one day, you yeah. Feel, and you get sometimes when you're away for a day or so, you get that little pang of guilt and feel yes. bad and feel bad as a parent. And all parents have that in their jobs when they're away at work in the day. They're not there for school pickup. We all have that, so it makes you think even more what Cog sacrificed that he um. Mm. He thought he couldn't do what he did and be a dad at the same time, I imagine. Um, so he must have had some pretty lonely nights and yeah, long periods of guilt and that, I imagine. Would, would have been pretty unpleasant. But it just goes to show in his, in his core, in his soul, he was a lovely dude. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
despite we hear all these stories that he did this and he did that, and but he was just a human being like the rest of us. Yeah, can't you know? I mean, I mean, you can bring kids up and be there all the time, do a proper safe job, and be a, you know what what would look like a brilliant parent, and kids could end can end up proper screw ups. Yeah, of course, yeah. So there's no, there's no, as all everyone knows, generally there's no, you know, there's no roadmap for it. No. So he did, did the best he could. Yeah. In the way, you know, not there's not like his his kids are saying there's not many kids that were shown knife throwing <laughs> as kids who've been to Glastonbury Festival when they're about ten. Oh yeah. And stuff like that. <laughs> so you know, us like we were saying to them, by the time they were like eighteen, the amount of drunks and fights and stuff yeah. they'd already experienced at comedy clubs they must have been bored of pubs by the time yeah. they were old enough to go to them oh man <laughs> yeah. it's like my youngest son I was talking to him recently that's the other thing that happens as well when they get older when you're growing up when you're growing up with them and, and they're your world and you're there for them all the time as much as you can be and then one day they're they're not asked. they're like off like I said to my eldest I'm like, I feel really bad. I don't get to see you. And I, he just moved to Bristol and said, I oh, just, you know, there's lots on. And he's like, Dad, I'm busy. I've got shit to do. <laughs> he goes, I know, he goes, I know you're all right, Dad. He goes, and I'm I'm all right. And he goes, you'll know when I'm not, because I'll call you. But everything's fine, don't worry. And I went, Yeah, but I worry I'm a shit dad. He went, You've not you're not, and you never have been. Because that's the thing. I always thought I was. I'm not. And my youngest, my, my, going back to my youngest, he said, I said about going out, I said, let's go and have a pint. And he was always a bit reticent and a bit like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I'm like, why? Don't you want to have a pint with your dad? And he went, years ago, dad, he goes, you came in and you were pissed. He goes, and you were being all loud and you were, he goes, you were mucking around. He goes, but it was, he goes, it, it sort of put me off seeing you like that. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. So, yeah, probably yeah. at the time I thought you were well funny. I thought well. I was well funny. Yeah, uh-huh. jumping up down the bed and yeah, and it and it put him off. Yeah, so he, so, in a, so in a weird way, that was quite a good bit of parenting. That <laughs> yeah, with his drink problem, saving a few quid, providing an example of what a twat you can be when you're drunk. Well done, well done. <laughs> so you are a good parent. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, inadvertently. Yeah, yeah, I um, yeah, because I've I've given up drinking. Um, so in a, in a way, it's a good thing now, but I'm I'm not going to get to have that first pint with your son in a pub. No, that's that you know. But is then, it not something you can go back to then? Is, is it? it worth the drink problem just to have that? Nah, <laughs> in the long run. But um, <laughs> did but, it come? Was it that bad then? Uh, I d- I don't know. I don't know because most people when I say I give up drinking, they all say oh, I didn't even notice you drunk much. Yeah, because I never drink before a gig. No, because I'm driving. So probably don't often drink after a gig. Yeah, I've rarely seen home. you. Yeah, I've rarely seen you drink. But that's when then when I get home at whatever time, mm. I'll make I'll make sure there's lagers in the fridge and just sit there watching YouTube, drinking till like three, four in the morning or saying in my head what I should have said to people. And yeah, then, yeah, um, yeah. And then waking up fit and I used to have hangovers like a coma. And then waking up angry and moody and snapping at you know, people and kids and stuff for the next day. And I just um, and I found on the way to a gig, I was thinking more about drinking after the gig mm, yeah, than right. the gig. I thought, well, that's <clears> not a good sign. I'd get to gigs and um, before going to the gig, do a little recce 
right. of where there's a Sainsbury's or a Tesco, three large bottles for a fiver. Yeah, right. Went up to 5.25. That was partly... <laughs> Helped me gave it drinking out of spite. Um, <laughs> You're quite a frugal man, aren't you? I'm a frugal man. Yeah. 20, that is weird, that. That 25p in a supermarket feels like a lot of money. They put that 25p, but... <laughs> A cold light of day, if someone said, would you pay 25p extra for that? You go, yeah. Yeah. Bother, it's a quid. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but um, I am. Um... Oh, I am. Hello. Wife. Um, uh, yeah, she just, her, she can somehow hear me excusing 25p for us. <laughs> the resentment she gets for going to Waitrose, and I'm talking about 25p. Yeah, right. Um, How would you give her a shit for going to the... She can't, I feel bad for my wife. When she buys something, whatever it is, she can't, in a small way, in the kitchen has to do, it's like an episode of Dragon's Den where she has to justify it. <laughs> she's just standing in front what, of her board. What she's bought, right. I've bought these. They save energy. They, uh, well, I'm out. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> I should try that. A bit yeah, of yeah. Oh, All the stuff lined up in front of her yeah. on the table. Right, this, what this is, <laughs> it tastes like Nutella. Yeah. And how much was that? That was from Waitrose. What 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 kind of life do you think we lead? Um Yeah, I uh but I don't know, I just, and I found uh I just like if we were that we're in Sheffield now doing the last laugh and that would just be today would have been written off. Really? Saturday would have been I'd have got up about 10, earliest, 11, something mm. like that. A banging hangover, feeling of guilt and anxiety. Yeah, because we would have definitely gone out. And uh, and then uh, some of the Saturday gigs I've done at Sheffield, I've like barely got through them. Yeah, yeah. Sweating yeah. on stage. Like, yeah. done, well, no one would know, but I, no. I knew I could have done a lot better. Just getting through it. I was like, what, what? It's no, it's the, there's no, like I've done some jobs, like factory and stuff like that where you turn up for work at seven in the morning with a hangover. Yeah. But doing a gig at eight at night, with a hang- <laughs> there's no excuse for that. And you have to get through it. Yeah. It's just <laughs> sweating on stage and just, I just, I got, I don't, I can't remember what it was that something made me decide alcohol is not making me be a good stand up. No. It's getting in the way. And I can't just have a couple can't the people like my wife can have a glass of wine stop have a cup of tea that's mind-blowing to me <laughs> you've got to drink to its logical conclusion haven't you <laughs> just obliteration yeah you've got to drink to your sleep and um and I, yeah i just can't but i've just transferred that to chocolate now i eat chocolate yeah. like a smackhead <laughs> so now I've, done, I've now had to stop that just can't have any fuck i do you do a bit about the seal you know on the bags Is oh it, yeah, yeah the uh yeah the the thing about um, there's no that. chocolate addiction. There's no help for chocolate addicts. You can't go into rehab because you've never used one of those stick blue stickers on a resealable <laughs> bag of Maltesers. That's it. I've never. I don't know who's resealing. Who's resealing them? <laughs> you can't do that in one sitting. Do that for a cup of tea. It's like Jaffa cakes. I always thought Jaffa cakes. That was the. They came as the packet. Like you don't yeah. have one and put them away. Yeah, yeah. Just to have the packet. You don't like. You don't. Rarely do you like it's like you don't have half a packet of crisps. <laughs> put a clothes peg on them and put them back in the cupboard. Nah. I was on when my habit was at its worst with chocolate. I was on a train and a half of Cadbury's chocolate fingers per cup of tea. <laughs> my God. That, I know. That was, 
I think about yeah, they are, but they're another one that the chocolate fingers of there's a there's a certain integrity to them that's not like other biscuits. Yeah, and I mean by their by the actual the 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 way they're made. Yeah, did you know what I mean? There's a then there's yeah, an extra yeah. crispiness to them. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. They're a bit, bit bit more. They haven't got as much give. Yeah, and you're like, oh note. yeah, I've <laughs> <laughs> got as much give. You can. Plough through. I eat them like a beaver. Plough through them. <laughs> them. Like cookie monster. I've had I've had like important phone calls where I'm mid cup of tea and Cadbury's fingers and just looked at it like, well, that's got to wait because <laughs> I can't talk. The tea won't be at the right drinking oh, and yeah. chocolate optimum. temperature. Optimum. Yeah, there's a there's a temperature where you can't gulp it. Yes. But you're no longer sipping it. <laughs> I don't know what that is in between that. It's a nice. I know exactly where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you want for a Cadbury's chocolate finger. You so dunk them? No, 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 no. no. You'd, be, you'd be mad to do that. Yeah, yeah. Ruin your tea. I tell you a weird, a weird uh, um, sort of routine I had. I think back to how much chocolate I used to eat as a kid. But luckily, I played sport every day. Right, yeah, some okay. sort. I, had, I played football and rugby for town, school, yeah, county. Um, You're a good footballer. I know we've played comedians football. Um, you got some skills, bruv. Uh, I'm a box-to-box midfielder with an eye for a defence splitting pass. Which well known. You got obviously you got some you got a welly on you. Uh, yeah. Um, I uh, so I I burnt it off. I think, but I, I wonder where all that went internally. The amount of sugar I had because I used to go to my nans and she used to get three two-litre bottles of Coke a week and I drank them on my own. Fucking hell! Sometimes someone would have and then they would have a can of Coke at school. Yeah, maybe so just burn it all off. I must of... have. I must have. I must. Have. But then. Yes, you were shitting sugar vases. I don't know why, <laughs> but I get. I've sort of thought weirdly that it's weird, like the amount of sport you do when you're younger. It's like it. It's like you banked it, and you've got all that in the bank. Mm. But I don't think that's true. I no. don't think I can just keep going back to those reserves. I think you've got to keep exercising. You can't. Yeah. Well, I did all that in my twenties and my teens. So that'll do me. Yeah, sixties. I don't I think I got to the my late thirties about nowish and thought, well, I'm gonna have to start. Because I used to, you know, I used to eat Kit Kats, two finger Kit Kats, uh, and my nan had electric fire. So she used to hold them in front and melt the top layer, melted Kit Kats with Coke. What? That is like that's like the crack pipe. Of Have sugar. you got any teeth? I'm, 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 you got yeah. bad teeth. Yeah, I got bad teeth. Yeah, they are. That's a lot, it. Got a lot of fillings. Cost me a lot of money, and like, yeah, you know. I'm used as a warning to my kids. My <laughs> mouth, like this is, it blows their mind that you've got black teeth because they now fillings are white, aren't they? But yeah, I've right, still yeah. got the silver ones. Working class ones, as yeah. Steve Williams calls them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. But you, you, you know, you see, see a working class person open their mouth wide, you're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. to the to the fingertips. That blows working class. <laughs> but um, I'm gonna. Eventually, get them uh, replaced with white ones. Yeah, we get a bit I'm more money. Make the money. I'm not going to go full Jimmy Carr. Just replace the fillings. I might. I might. I was thinking this a little while ago. I might if I get enough money, because I have always had trouble with my teeth. They looked all right, but they've, there's always something going on somewhere. I'll just smash them out and just have the things put in. No, with the screws. Well, you've done that. No, I want it. I think I'm oh, you want to? Yeah. Well, the you, yeah. The way you said, I smash them out. <laughs> so I'm like, you're going to do it. <laughs> 
I'm oh. so working class because I smashed yeah. my own teeth out. Yeah. <laughs> that's a proper that's a proper nightlife self harm, isn't it? Smash my own teeth in. Uh, that that is one of them though that I see um that's one of them I agree with. When you see you see people getting things done to themselves, work you know, like Botox and you yeah. think that's all unnecessary. But when I see people make a certain amount of money and get get their teeth done, yes, I think yeah, good. absolutely, that's, that's the first thing I'd do. Yeah, money. yeah, nice teeth, mate. My wife's got nice teeth. Has she? Well, oh, she could be a teeth model, <laughs> a dentist. There's probably um, that is a thing in it. She could probably do it, mate. What would that be to be a natural teeth, a natural teeth yeah. model. They don't get enough credit. No, natural teeth. It's hard model. having. It's hard having teeth, keeping them. I'd go full Jurgen Klopp. Well, it looks like oh a, yeah, <laughs> like a white gum shield. Good on him. That's why when Sean Ryder had his done. Yeah, yeah. It just yeah. when he was in the jungle and he looked like that like was a piano coming through. Yeah, they've all had them done. Noel Gallagher had his done. Liam had his done. Yeah, that was. That, yeah, I mean Noel's when you see early photos of him. Oh, his teeth were horrendous. That, oh, I think that was uh, like a load of broken biscuits. Think... <laughs> <laughs> it's Michael Smiley's. But uh, yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember him saying that in an interview about um, about the amount of drugs that he did that his teeth were starting to fall out. So I think that was that. Yeah, right. And that's what that was one of the reasons he gave up drugs um, because of uh, uh, vanity. Yeah, which is a good. That's a good reason. Yeah. I, I think I, I think I'd be horrified to lose my teeth. Yeah, I um, I think that's what giving up drink. I think I did it because he he gave up, he gave up drugs. Just did it himself. Just stopped. Yeah, and I think that's how I gave up drinking. In a realize that being stubborn can be a good thing. It's more being stubborn, mm. in a way. But um, uh, you know, and then going running, because then when you go running. Then you don't want to undo the effort you've made yeah. by drinking. That was the problem at first. I started going boxing and exercising, and I saw it in the wrong way. I saw it as licensed to eat more shit. Of course, yes. It was going the other way for a while. <laughs> but one thing led to another, and now I'm off the off the chocolate completely. I don't know what's happened to me. I'm right. off chocolate. I'm eating those uh what we had last night. Glute, oh there, yeah. Gluten free, thirty three percent less sugar chocolate biscuits. And they were nice. Hundred percent oat. Oh, <laughs> Well, a pair of us last night uh-huh. sitting around bowl of muesli, gluten-free biscuits. Tea with... Tea with almond, almond milk. Almond milk. <laughs> I mean, if comedians in the 90s <laughs> could see that... I know. I would say, well, let's just stop this industry now. <laughs> There's no point. It's going to lead to this. Doing lines of almond milk. Uh-huh. But let's just tell it, you know, I think I certainly, in my in my experience, from coming from my point of view... I've done. I've had. I've had so many nights where I've been sat around doing coke or whatever. You go. I've done that now. It's boring. Yeah. I don't want to do it. it I've, I, that's why I never done any. I've never done any drugs. No. Because I knew you'd do them all. Yeah, and I think I could. I think from a young age, probably with the, the firing through Kit Kats. Yeah. Right. I saw. I could see like when I got to a teenager. Thought from I think the Kit Kats were an early level of my addiction problem. <laughs> like if I'm like that with Kit Kats, what <laughs> would I be like with Coke? Because that cocaine, that is really that's that's a little that's, bit. I've heard that's addictive. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am um, barreling through that every day. So I just yeah, luckily, and it was weird because all my mates 
did drugs growing up like as a teenager and mm. no one ever offered me anything really so you didn't what, do I don't know what that was I don't know no one offered me anything ever never I've never been offered a line of coke by yeah, any of my really? mates nothing whatever else they've all done I don't know what it was something about my face looks like <laughs> he, he can't be doing drugs I'm not watching that when he's gurning all of <laughs> <laughs> that could be it and I've got quite a large bent Roman nose so that's a waste. Yeah, so he ain't, <laughs> ain't going to come up on that till Tuesday. <laughs> and you would have done the, it with one blast. I'm not going to feel the benefit. You can't have him coming up on that when he's in a factory <laughs> at lunchtime on a Tuesday afternoon. On a lathe. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a cracking word, lathe. It? It's a really good one. But uh, I just, yeah, but it, it's the same with drinking. It gets, it's really exciting at first and you have all these funny stories. Yeah. But then when you find that you're in your mid-30s and still telling the same stories. Yeah. Do you remember that time we, you know, yeah, but we've, we've not done anything since that. Never made any new stories. Now we're just drinking and talking about that time we did that. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It gets a bit, you know. It's exhausting because it's, yeah, I, I've, I've, now I can easily go, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to do that again. I'll have a drink and if it, if it comes up and I end up out and I'm having a laugh and, but to to do the same stuff to go to to know that you're going to go to the same pub have the same conversations with the same people I can't I can't do it yeah I just haven't got it I don't have the energy I'm just like I can't I don't know what else to say yeah yeah and then I end up not being pissed because I'm I'm too pissed off yeah and I I found that I was going to like even like family barbecues and family get-togethers and weddings and stuff I was thinking more about drinking yeah than the f- now I don't drink I think oh yeah I'm going to see my family <laughs> that's what it should have <laughs> been right with that not this this is going to be a full day drinking yeah getting excited now, I remember at Christmas I used to think well this is what it would be this is what I'd be like if I was an alcoholic and this mm. I'd, be, I'd, I'd be well happy to do this drink you drink yourself sober about sort of mid-evening. Okay. I used to, and then I then sort of start again. Fuck I used to drink man. myself into a headache and then think, well, yeah. what am I going to do now? I'm not going to stop and take a paracetamol. I have to drink my way through and hopefully I'm all right in the morning. Like, you can't you can't keep that up. No. I know people that, well, we do, uh, Paul Perry, and he was, when he was drinking and in full flow, you know, it became his, his every waking moment was, when am I going to get another drink? When can I? When can yeah. I? Well, if I do that, I can get a drink when I go and do that. And <laughs> shedding, and it, the fact that he used to shed his belongings when he'd go out. The like, amount of phones I know he's lost and jackets and money. Yeah. And, See, and, I was never like that. I was never a, no. a chaotic drunk. It was very organised. Yeah, you're a very organised man. It was, ve- it was very, it was a solo activity. <laughs> in, so you and the missus never used to sit in? That was all, all with my wife. It was yeah. just every night. Every night, after when I get back from a gig late, I have a few, and then sit and watching telly and have a few. <coughs> I remember her saying we should just drink on a Sunday, and then that slowly descends into every night. And the thing with doing this as well, doing stand up, it's like Friday and Saturday nights, weekend. I deserve a drink because I've done yes, a gig. Yes. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're like, well, I don't, I don't really get a weekend because I'm, I do stand up, so this is my weekend, yeah, yeah. so I'll drink. And then you're back to well Thursdays, <laughs> and it's just nearly the weekend. It's just never ending. So um, just that to yeah, but um, yeah, that, I spoke to Paul in this very room. I spoke to Paul 
about drinking quite a lot. Mm. And he was that was the thing, a lot of a lot of comedians as well, you just think it looks like it's just part of the night. You yeah. look back on it and think, how the fuck, how did, how did we not know he had a problem or he yeah, had a problem? True. You just think, well, he's, he's doing a gig, and he? It's part of the night. Don't want to question him on it. But um, There's certain people you can see when you go, we've been sat here for, say, 40 minutes. He sunk four pints and I'm still getting through one. Yeah. And, he's, and he kind of goes, ah, oh, shit, that, that might be something. Yeah. You don't. I mean, that's not very. That's not across the board. Like you say, normally you just. Oh, it's just it's not, not noticeable. I was um, you know, I'd be thinking more about when I did TV warm up up in Glasgow at the BBC. After the warm up, there'd be the green room and it'd be full of drink, and I'd be drinking as quick as I can, and then strategically nicking one bottle at a time to put in my bag to take back to the hotel. <laughs> Like the Great Escape with mud in the pocket. Yeah, right. I'd be like that. <laughs> take back to the hotel. I'd be when I got back there. I'd be that. I'd have drunk that much that I'd fall asleep, and the flight would be like eight in the morning or something. Oh shit! So I'd so. end up leaving like two, three bottles of lager in the hotel because I couldn't drink them. Um, never missed a flight no. from drink, but oh, had some close calls. That's <laughs> oh, my idea of a nightmare. Missing your flight. With, you know, hangover as well, rushing yeah. for a flight. But um. I yeah. never, I never, loads of people I know like on other comics that they'd have a bottle of wine in their room and all that. I never did that. Yeah, that's why I've got mates that drink a bit, but they said that they, um, I grew up with, but they never drunk at home. Yeah, we don't. They go to the pub. I was always the opposite. I'd rather right. drink in my house. Yeah, Jade and I don't sit in, we've got loads of alcohol indoors and we don't sit and, don't sit and drink it. We'll just we'll go out and because of what we do, we'll go we'll go and meet. You'll go, you'll go and, most times if I'm going to meet someone and we're doing some writing or we're going over like a show idea or something you know to do with our work, it always ends up we always end up hammered at the end of it. Yeah. So yeah, it is a bit. It's not a problem. But it's, yeah, well, like you say, it becomes gets to a point. <laughs> that's the sound of someone maybe or maybe not buying tickets for the gig tonight that we're doing yeah that's the answer phone for last laugh comedy so oh. isn't it so, uh. <laughs> so we just show, we're just showing the people a behind the scenes look uh. <laughs> on left answer machine messages that's people that have just decided to go bowling <laughs> instead <laughs> yeah <laughs> what a shit example bowling was <laughs> Bowling on a Saturday night. Bowling is bowling's all right. You have one go and you're like, that was all right. Yeah. And then you realise you you got. We just went the other week with the the boys. It was one of their mates' birthday party. Loads of little kids and they've got to get the thing out to help them. Oh, like yeah. Every go takes yeah. about ten minutes. Yeah. And you look up and realise there's ten goes. <laughs> Gonna be here all day. <laughs> did you have the sides up as well? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, you wouldn't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they did. <laughs> It's quite a good watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. But who, who, yeah, who would do that on Saturday night? Bowling. Uh. <laughs> it's funny you saying about the stories. One thing you said, you, you, that you said at Cogsy's Wake was what you said about the stories everyone had about him. Oh, yeah. It was um, Sally Ann Haywood. It's a cracking line that about you know, no wonder he was exhausted, that we've all got these 
chaotic, mad Cognito stories. And the one thing in common is we've all got one. He's in all of them. <laughs> we've got one. Yeah. He's got there's hundreds and he's in every single one of them. <laughs> uh, it was interesting what you said to me. We had a chat last week when I saw you. It was interesting what you were saying to me. Because it was... It, 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 like, you know, the, the stories have gone out and it's all... And like, the, how he died was so tragic, but it's now been romanticised and there was the stories going around. Oh, he died with his boots on and he died on stage doing what he loved and he was smashing the gig. But you don't... You, you don't realise... It was only after talking to you, you realise the, the, the other side of it. We're like, fuck, I've just watched the mate pass away on stage. You've now you're in a room of people that have seen that as well. They now have to you have to sort of clear the room, ring people, inform people. Yeah, I mean that must have been it, fucking hard to get your head around and. Um, it, yeah, it was. Um, um, it was like what people kind of um, said that at least you were there. Oh, it was not, you know, it would be it was good that you were there, someone he knew was there. Yeah. But I didn't really feel like, oh, you know, I, I was with him because I don't, I don't know, I just I panicked and stood by the door ushering everyone out. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I felt responsible for the gig. Yeah. Well, you're taking care of all of it. Yeah. It's not. It's not. I was trying to get yeah. everyone out the door so we could get paramedics in. Yeah. So in a way, I kind of had to do that. And yeah. Then, absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, in the room, after when the room cleared out, and it was just a few people out of the audience, there was two A&E nurses in the audience who were, um, they were they were brilliant, and they, was, and they were uh, resuscitating him, trying to. Yeah. And then the paramedics arrived and then sat in an empty room. And then just he was on the stage. He'd been right. resuscitated on a stage and sat there. Um, watching him, looking at him was surreal. I don't know what I, I, I kind of knew from looking at his face. I, I, yeah. I was not expecting. Well, I knew, you know, I knew. Didn't it, look good. It's, it's. I can't. Yeah, I. I, I remember the, <laughs> you know, I remember the policeman coming up to me with his bag. His little bag that yeah that he wore on stage. Oh right. Yeah. Going going through it looking for ID, pulling out a massive bag of hash. Um <laughs> and I thought, well, that's probably the least of the worries at the moment. I'll yeah, like yeah. But him him saying to me, What what's the gentleman's name? And to a policeman saying he incognito. Oh yeah. <laughs> and realised I don't know his actual name. Just always knew him as um just knew him as Cogs. Cogs, yeah. So um but it was. It was really. It was really his mate Pat. Right. Oh, um, his mate was there. Pat Gallagher, who used to drive him to gigs. Who took a lot of the brunt of it. He did the hardest part of it, where he had to. He had to hang around all night. He had to ring Cog's sons. Right. He had to do the formal identifying the body. Oh wow! So he done all that. The hardest stuff. Um. But the yeah the thing the worst the worst thing was when when I when I went I had to go mm. at some point they, we were told to just go and uh, going back upstairs into the room to get 
my bag and coat and stuff and I'd seen him on the stage with no one else in the room being resuscitated yeah. and I didn't think anything of it that I walked back in and at this point now that they had stopped and there was a blanket over him um, and yeah I was pretty you know I didn't know what I just sort of panicked because I've never seen that before no. and I panicked and just went and just still now, just think, I don't know what, what you know, what was I supposed to do? Yeah, but, there's nothing you could have done. It's... But I know, I still think that I didn't sort of say, you know, sort of say, goodbye. that sounds stupid, but I didn't say goodbye. I sort of walked left because I just sort of panicked. I didn't know. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind, kind of, um, it's kind of, an, an, not annoying, but it infuriates me a bit when people sort of casually, who don't know, kind of go, Oh, you heard about that that comedian at the gig? That what happened with that comedian? It's yeah. like you can't really explain. It wasn't that comedian? It's, no. When you strip it away, it's not a, like a colleague. No. It's someone I've known for twenty years. I, do yeah. you know? I realised. I thought I don't know what what it was, but again, talking about drinking, my first few gigs, I thought you needed to drink heavily to do stand-up. Yeah. So I was half drunk for my first few gigs. I think quite a few people were. Yeah, mine was double vodka Red Bull. Yeah. So I was, um, I suddenly thought back to my, I thought, I'm sure my second ever gig, my first gig was in a, a, a college talent night, so it didn't right. really even count as a gig. <coughs> my first proper gig was in a Birmingham University comedy night mm. Daily Telegraph Open Mic Award like competition. Yeah. So it was a normal comedy night and one person would do an open spot and they'd report back were they any good and put them through to then, you know, the other heats. And I thought back and thought, I'm sure Cognito was on. Right. I'm sure my first memory of him was that. So my first ever proper gig. And I look, and I've still got the university paper because I kept right. it. It's my first gig. <coughs> I looked back and checked and it was. It was him. So it made me realise I've known him twenty years. So it's um. So it wasn't you know it's not just oh that to them it's that oh that comedian because they're not that's what they yeah know but and like if, like you think back I speak to other comedians who knew him they'd be going a lot longer than me and I think you know whether you saw them that often or that you've you've someone you've known twenty thirty years yeah and um and I, I kind I sort of um. I got some. He was when I started. You looked up to headliners. Mm, when you were yes. an open spot, headliners were like gods to you. Yeah, yeah. And some of them still are in my eyes, like Adam mm. Bloom and Ian Stone and yeah. people like that, Jeff Innocent and all that. I remember just and I still sometimes I gig with them, and because yeah. you've known them that long, they're just like mates kind yeah. of. Yeah. But every now and again they'll be on stage and you look at them and you just go, oh, Jesus, what <laughs> a brilliant you are because I've just taken yeah, for granted. Yeah. Paul Funny, Tomkinson. Yeah. Yes. You ever gig with him? Yeah. There'll be moments where he's so good you forget you're doing the gig. Yeah. You feel like you're in the yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's times, I remember starting out, and like you say, those guys were, that's where you wanted to be and you wanted to, and you. I remember being over the, over the moon when you'd see one of them at another gig and they'd go, oh, Rich, how you doing? Yeah. You're like, fuck, he knows who I am. Yeah, he remembers my name. Yeah, it was it was exciting, and Cogsy was always every time I heard, you know there was all different stories about him and this and that, but he was always every time I saw him he was always lovely, lovely, and 
he, I remember one weekend he did, and he and he he'd had a shit gig both nights. He bombed both nights. I got booed off both nights. And I know he had this like rock and roll. I don't give a fuck attitude. He was sat in the bar afterwards, and he was genuinely upset. And he's yeah. just, and he was really like, I just, cause yeah, you know, you don't want it to go like that. He goes, it's you know, and I had not been going very long, and I said to him stupidly, I was like, well, maybe you got to make it more palatable for the people. And, <laughs> and he looked at me. He just went, he goes, yeah, but then it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be me, would it? Uh, no. And it was just lovely. Really nice moment that because well, he could have gone. What are you fucking? What do you fucking know? Yeah, you've only been going ten minutes. You fucking asshole. Probably said that behind your back. It probably did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, that that was the, that was again on the on the the night. Um, even on the last his last gig, in the interval, Javier Hakwim was on first. He'd yeah. gone home, and Cogs lent into me and said, "He's good, isn't he? He's wow. got really good." So even right at the end, how long he's been going, he's still so appreciating good of other acts. Still, yeah. like he could be very, he could be obviously really funny, slagging people off. Yeah, hilarious. We all do, but but he still was encouraging. Still loved stand up, and still like that. And everyone's got those stories of him. Yes, everyone's got those brilliant stories of him being encouraging and helpful. Yeah, um, you know, like be viciously funny. With his criticism of you, yeah, but uh, yeah, someone was telling me one. They were saying um, uh, there was he, someone had gone on and they did the get they did their opening spot and they died horrifically, and then they came off and Cogsy was stood there and he went, oh, apparently there was something wrong with the mic, and he's like, oh shit, really? Oh, it's Keith Farnan. That's yeah. it. It's his story. Yeah, he's oh, oh right, okay. He went, yeah, yeah, you were on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Goes on, smashes the gig, but apparently afterwards they went out. Cox was lovely, lovely, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, but so when when we started, there's a, the older comedians, like in anything, music, whatever. There's the old, the ones who are headlining that, and they're like gods to you, they're yes. heroes. Yeah, but there was something even like even more about Cogs, obviously, because he fucking you know he lived it, didn't he? Yeah, he um and he strutted around like he was, like he was. A there was no guy. one else like him. No, and and that's that's why I think um. Like people don't realize why they're so upset about it. I think it's Dan Evans wrote it in a comment on the GoFundMe page. Right. He wrote, uh, "It feels like the end of something," and I was like, "Ah, oh, that's, that's yeah, what it is." Yeah, it feels like uh, the thing of the thing of um, those that because like that era of stand-up where it was proper weird and alternative, and you didn't know what had happened, and yes. could be just a nutter on the bill. He kind of still was flying the flag for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's been really watered down and become a bit safe and some ways technically really mm. a lot better. You know, comedians are a lot more solid and reliable and and um, polished and that, which is in some ways a good thing. But then, you know, there's not as much room for something to, mad to happen. No. And um, he represented that. And sometimes it go tits up. But he... Uh, when I started, I'm not like I'm not old, but I've been going quite a while. I do remember when I started, there was only like live at the comedy store and live at Jongler's on telly. Yeah. And all your aim was, your whole goal, your ambition was to get 20 at the banana, the comedy store, the Glees, yeah. backyard. Yeah, that was it. it. It was all about the gigs. That yes. was it. Just the gigs. And anything getting else a, was a bonus. Getting a paid 20. <clears throat> yeah. And 
And a lot of the acts on the bill, you'd meet the acts and you'd look at them like, are you a comedian or a nutter? <laughs> what What are you going to be? Yeah. Someone would walk on, you're like, right, what? Not Now it's like, how good is this person going to be? It used yeah. to be, what, fuck, what? what is this going to be? What <laughs> yeah. is it? Is that it a creep. nutter? Yeah. Is it going to go to shit? Is the gig going to go tits up? What? 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 Yeah. Does he represent that? Yeah, that anarchic, that... Yeah, they, uh, yeah, that kind of it was a whole, it was a lifestyle. Yeah, he lived it. Yeah, what like you say, yeah, he lived it. It wasn't just. And uh, I remember someone described him as the absolute essence of a live stand-up. You had to see him live. Yes. And uh, and like that, that's why, I, like uh, the gig that I, that me and my wife run in Bista, where I live, um, started running that. And I remember after. Like you panic book and just put people in and, mm. and f- hope it's going to be all right. And it's only two acts on the night and you want to keep the regulars coming back and stuff like that. And I remember after a while, just thinking, suddenly you'd see other acts and go, ah, oh, I haven't got you in. I need to, you've got to do it. Yes. But then I remember s- f- seeing someone mentioning Cogs or something and then go, ah, oh, I've got Ian in. <laughs> I've got Cognito in to do it. You've got to have him do it. I haven't seen him in years. Um, and I and I thought even if he even if he bullses it up and it goes mm. tits up, he's got to do it. Yeah, he has to do it. Um, they uh, and then I heard that he'd given up drinking, and he was getting his you know trying to sort himself out a bit, and his health hasn't been good. And I saw him at a gig in Milton Keynes in January, and he really looked um, like f- quite frail, mm. and his voice was quite frail and weak. Right. And so when he was doing stuff where he'd not used a mic, when, you know, before he'd be ferocious and shouting yeah. loads of energy, it was amazing. But when he was just that bit more frail and his voice wasn't as strong, people at the back couldn't hear properly and then yeah, switching right. off a bit. And I was and I was upset mainly. If I remember ringing my wife on the way home and I was upset because he's, to me, such a, you know, he was such a... Um, just like raw, a, like a comedy, comedy, really. Um, God, when you started to see him struggling a bit, but then he's fucking sixty as well. Yeah. It was I was quite upset that night, and then but I saw him on the Saturday before at Camden Comedy Loft, and uh, and he just looked a bit. He looked a lot better. Yeah, and he had to compare because the compare was stuck on the tube, and he um. And he went on and he, was, and he was shouting and he and he looked loads better. And I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> and we both went and got a coffee. I remember we went and got a coffee and we're both stingy. So we, <laughs> he went to McDonald's and I went to Pret because I've got a reusable cup and you get 50p off. <laughs> so we both went to separate places and met back. <laughs> Having done the same. Tight. And then um, walked back and I just sort of like, whatever. Sally Anna Haywood, again, she said the same thing. She said, we've all... We've all got uh, sort of, everyone must have a thing of, oh, I wish last time I saw him, I mm. chatted to him more. Or, yes. Like she said that she was invited to his boat and she just didn't have time to go and never went. And uh, I just wish on that. I sort of chatted to him a fair bit on that night because we were both quite early. Yeah. And the gig was like, we both talked about giving up drinking so we gave up about the same time. And that, that, was, that was good. But I just, yeah... Yeah, I wish I'd sort of... And then the, the night of the last gig, I wish I'd... Because when you're running a gig and you're doing new stuff, you're so 
preoccupied yeah. and caught up in yourself. I barely spoke to him before yeah, the gig. But um, I'm quite quite happy that the last sort of thing I said to him was, uh, are you all right doing 30? Because he wasn't feeling great. Um, and he said, uh, he went, yeah, doesn't matter if I do longer, does it? 40 feels better. <laughs> and, uh, so that hadn't slowed him down. He was still... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like... Uh, I can't remember who's, who said it, but they said he's up in heaven now going, fucking follow that. <laughs> <laughs> I like Ben Norris said that. There is a heaven. He's already been asked to leave. <laughs> a lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This show is made by Dark Horse Digital. Shooting, live streaming, and podcast production. How are you feeling now? Because uh, I know you were, we were talking last week and you were a bit... Uh, after you've sort of seen that... Mm. Um, uh, so that's, so, like I said to you, that's so that's a massively traumatic thing you've all, witnessed. You know, it's better, like you've, we've all... We've all I have family members like your auntie and stuff. I've had my auntie um, been at a hospital bed and stuff like that. We've all had family members. And that's you remember every minute second of that. Mm. But yeah, when you look back on it and didn't realise you were watching it. Yeah. On a on a stage, my oh, yeah, wife. Of course, because you wouldn't have. Would have been worse for my wife. I was at the back. It was only a small room, seventy people. Yeah, yeah. And he was on the stage on a stool. And had a slight back on the stool and he sort of just slowly leant back and arched back on the stool with his arms out, like, dramatically. Yeah, right. Like, like he was soaking up applause, like his last mm. laugh, in a way. Um, he kind of... Uh, it, that's why people for three, four minutes thought it must be a joke because oh, it looked yeah. so dramatic. It looked yeah. so like he was doing it on purpose. My wife is the only one who stood up at the door side on which is about five six yards from him so she was eye level with him mm. and she said that you could see him um taking his last massive breaths and she said oh. you could watch his, she said his shoulders relaxed and she said it looked really peaceful it looked like he slowly yeah, just slid away slid, slid away which is the only thing that makes it sort of uh um bearable when you think mm. about it but the autopsy was that it wasn't a heart attack, it was a ruptured aorta. 
Yeah, which right, means okay. which means the heart his ex wife was explaining it to me that that means his heart filled up with blood. Right. And then it's then he couldn't breathe, so he just um slipped away like you, as if like you're fainting or something. Yeah. And um she so it's apparently it's the most painless, peaceful way you can go heart wise. Yeah. You just slide away and then and it's... It, it makes an um and I should say as well that um because the worst, the worst thing the next day as well was thinking of the audience. Because mm. no people, to be fair, because people who know me who say it can't be nice for you and your wife, which it wasn't. But you think about that audience; they went away not having a clue. Like I knew no. that he had heart troubles, so I had an idea. They didn't have a clue. The next day, they're all going. We just sat there and watched and didn't do anything for four, three, four minutes. Mm. We now know that. There's nothing we could have done because no. you can't undo that. No. No amount of resuscitation. But even if it was a heart attack, you wouldn't have been able to do anything. And no. Thought the, all the paramedics told me not, it wouldn't have made a you difference. Yeah. But we know for a fact now that there was nothing we could have done. But what sort of need do need to say um, is that when you read it in black and white, that like the audience sat there for three minutes thinking it was a joke laughing, mm. that sounds really bad. But as soon as, like, even to the when I went on stage and put my hand on his arm, even at that point, I was still expecting him to go boo. Yeah. And then I looked at his face and then realised straight away that that it wasn't a joke. Um, put him on. We put him on the stage, and two A and E nurses were in the audience. Oh wow! Did everything they could. I mean, who else has two A and E nurses within three four minutes? Yeah. If that happened in Sainsbury's, you wouldn't have an A and E nurse no, that quick. No. Um. So everyone kind of went fuck. So they. They immediately did everything they could. There was an off-duty policewoman who was doing everything she could. Bloody hell. And the rest of the audience that couldn't do anything were as respectful and helpful as people could possibly be. Everyone came they, together. They all realised, all oh, the only thing we can do to help now is get out the room as quick yeah. as possible so paramedics can get in and they've got space to do it. And everyone went downstairs and was like waiting, just hoping he was all right. And yeah. the next day... All nearly everyone out of the audience was messaging, asking that night. They were all people were texting us and emailing us because quite a lot of regulars. Yeah, right. Is he all right? And that so it, need, it needs to be said that that audience did as much as they could. Yeah, and tried to help as much as they could. And so they, it's um, like you all did. And they um, and the next day we after we knew what happened, we sent an email to them, and they were all of them were like really nice, and they um. I mean, there was, was a girl in the front row, 18. Mm. It was her first ever comedy night. Oh, my God. There was a girl in the second row who was 20. It was her 20th birthday, first ever comedy night. Fuck. Um, the 20-year-old girl came back the month after. Right. Her mum, who we know a bit, mm. um, said she wouldn't ever go to wouldn't go back and wouldn't go to a comedy night. And her mum said that they're, they're going to do a bit, we're going to do a bit of a tribute for him. Yeah. And she made her come back and oh, she nice. was sat in the front row and she had a good night and you know. Then the month after, the first gig back after, um I didn't you know, I've so I got a hammer in with a plaque engraved. Yeah, I saw on it. the picture, yeah. The, the joke of a <clears throat> hammer and nail in the wall that I used to do, saying two things you need to know about me, one I don't give a fuck and two I got a hammer. <laughs> I got that engraved on a plaque, Ian Cognito, and 
on the hammer handle. Yeah, right. And walked on. What was great is I walked on, hammered the nail into a wall and thought, this is going to be awkward now. It sounds good, but it's going to be awkward wrong. I have to explain what that is. Yeah. She's going to look at me like, what the fuck? All right, mate. <laughs> yeah. fucking lost it from last month. I know it's bad, but but what was great is as I'd started hammering, they all cheered. So oh, they, so they all knew. So they all clearly, as a lot of people did, Googled him and yeah. tried to find out as much as they possibly could about him. So they all knew what that meant straight yeah. away, which was great. Oh, that's beautiful. And then I said... Um, I said to them, if you weren't here last month or you haven't heard what happened last month, it's going to be a, a weird night to come to this gig for the first time. I said, is anyone not here or didn't know what happened? No one said anything. And I did the first 15 minutes comparing. Like, you can't walk on and just go, hey, so what do you do? No. Um, so I told them uh, about what that, what happened last month and the 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 autopsy. I said, this fuck a weird start to any comedy night describing <laughs> an autopsy and then and then and then I just said about how I knew him um, and then t- just told the best cognito stories to them Amazing. and they got that all got laughs like yeah. like solid material because <laughs> it is they're all brilliant jokes all of the all, all the brilliant stories about him like um, Jared Christmas's story about him going in doing a gig taking his dog and the, the owner of the the bar saying you can't what are you doing with a dog and he's going I'm taking it on stage with me it's going to be part of the act he's going you weren't taking a dog on stage he's going it's part of the act isn't it he's going if you take a dog on stage I'll be able to see you through the security camera I'll have the door staff escort you from the building so he went on without the dog he goes I was going to take my dog on stage with me but there's some cunt watching me for a camera who says I can't everyone turn around wave to the camera wave to the camp and he goes he didn't say anything about nudity though did he and he stripped naked, got on a table in the middle of the room, stood on a table and shouted his jokes in one-liner, angry one-liners, while he poured everyone's drinks over himself. <laughs> so I just told all of those stories in the first bit. And then in the interval, Steve Williams told me he had someone walking down the stairs saying, Did someone die here or something? So there was people in the audience who didn't know what... Oh, right. Who weren't, who clearly gone for the first time, didn't know what had happened. And then, but, you know, what else... The majority of yeah, yeah, you handled that brilliantly. Um, the, the rest of them, that was that's a wonderful way to, to thing to do. And then at the end, I copied the uh, Mark, what Martin Big Pig did, uh, Martin Moore at um, Glasgow Stand. That was a great, great thing. Uh, put a pint of Guinness on a stool on the stage. Said obviously he didn't get his last round of applause. So can we give him oh, standing? Wow. O- they gave him a standing ovation. Um, so that was nice yeah that was good um, the whole even at the wake seeing who was there and it's just nice and and I and when I got there and there was a couple of people that not fallen out with but we've we've had our moments and <laughs> I we were able to build bridges and go listen I'm really sorry about that and I'm like yeah yeah come here and we had a kiss and uh, this is like grown men kissing each other going I'm really sorry and so all that all that wonder, wonderfulness came from you know, kind something of, um, really sad well that's the thing with him that he was angry and fierce and aggressive and then you could see that he was um, um, like soft and nice all at the same time like I think Adam Bloom's story of him as Adam Bloom said it's not like that amazing funny story but it really sums what he was 
sums him up perfectly. So he's doing the Banana Cabaret. First half, Adam's on stage. Cogs is on the second half. So he's arrived while Adam's on stage. And instead of going around the other way and walking up the stairs, he walked across, it was when there was no stage, so your floor level. He walked across the front row of the audience, stood between the audience with his back to the audience, facing Adam, gave him a massive cuddle, (laughs) as you would when you see your mate. Yeah. Didn't say anything, just carried on walking up the stairs. <laughs> so it really, it just summed him up, the warmth and anarchy, all at, all at the yeah. same time. It's a good <laughs> good summary of him. I think that's what all the, yeah, the comedians there on the day. It was, uh, there was a lot of uh, the comedians, you know, that's the thing about him, that like he was fierce and angry. So it was really, it was quite hard to accept that he'd gone. It was you know, nice seeing nice seeing the older older comedians who'd known him all that time. Yeah, that were there that had a gig with him for years and years and started out with him and that. Um, hearing them talk about him, mm. like Pierre Hollins and stuff like that was that was great. Hearing that, because I've only I've known him as long as them. And the stories of him, um, that was good. And he's seen his friend. And what was funny, I thought, really made me laugh is that he turned he arrived at the cemetery not in a hearse in a beaten up white transit van <laughs> and then looking around as everyone stood out it's a weird moment when you stand outside a cemetery everyone sort of stood around and you sort of glance around and just sort of survey everyone as a mass and think yeah. these are all the main people in his life yeah and somebody whoever you're at a cemetery you look around at everyone think these are the main yeah. people of this person's life and a bunch of comedians together looked like quite a weird bunch. <laughs> yeah. But what I found really funny was the people that weren't comedians, his mates and people he knows looked more mental than the oh, comedians. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about four teeth between see, them. Yeah, festival people it looked like. Yeah, it was yeah, a lot of that. Yeah. That was good. Was that, I think Jordan Brooks put a, put a picture up on on Twitter once and he said, it was like, it was his, his, um, with this weird collection of animals, different animals, so stood in a line. He said, and he's like, this is what comedians look like when they get out of a car at service stations. <laughs> and everyone's like, how the fuck do they know each other? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, a bunch of comedians getting out of a car Look like Ocean's Eleven, yeah. Or something. <laughs> it does. Like they've yeah. all been assembled. Yeah, that's it. So they're all individual <laughs> skills that can't be transferred in real life in any way, but put together, yeah, become something very useful. A comedy diamond heist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Birdie, thanks, man. It's good, wasn't right. it? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, man. well done, mate. <laughs> Insane in the membrane. So there we are. It's Andrew Bird. Uh, wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, talking about a wonderful man, Mr. Ian Cognito, an incredible man. And uh, and Andrew Bird, thank you for coming on. Very much appreciated. Um, thank you to the Last Laugh in Sheffield for allowing us to to do the recording while we were up there working for you guys. If you've not been actually to the Last Laugh in Sheffield, you should get yourselves along. It's a fantastic club. Uh, it's on Fridays and Saturdays, uh, hosted by the wonderful Toby Foster. And uh, it's a brilliant club. Get yourselves along. So, thanks again for tuning in. Thank you all for your support. And uh, again, if you want to like get on the on the iTunes and give us a five star review and uh, and a, you know tell us what you think, pushes us up the charts, gets more people listening, and gets more people into our little group. So, until next week, take care of yourselves, and I'll see you again. Planning for your next trip. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Made by DarkHorseDigital.co.uk Shooting, live streaming and podcast production.